I don't know about you, but I'll tell you, Friday was fairly disheartening for me. We got past the one o'clock hour, and there was no premier announcement. And um, even was said from the premier's office that there wouldn't be any further protocols until Monday. That on Monday there would be a big announcement. So we thought we were in good shape, right? Thought, okay, we've got this till at least Christmas Eve. Everything's, everything's in order. And, and then at 5 o'clock, right, my phone started to buzz because, because not from a premier announcement, but from a, from a news brief, information had come down that Hamilton was going to go into lockdown and that that was going to happen as of tomorrow and it would change uh, the rest of Christmas. In fact, it said, if you read the paper, that if you, don't, if you gather with more than your family unit and one single person, right, so use the example of two couples gathering. If two couples gathered, it said, the fine is $10,000 for the host and 800 and whatever it was, $70 for each participant. And I was like, really? Like, that's what we're going to do to Christmas? And there are numbers of things this season that have just been incredibly different, haven't they? I mean, normally at James North, formerly Houston Street Baptist Church, we'd start our season, we've done this for over 25 years, with a Christmas dinner. The Christmas dinner has happened the last number of years at the Romanian Hall. We would gather there. There'd be 180 or so people that would gather. About 60% were community members that would come in and gather with us. Of the, of the group that came, about 40% of the people that came to the dinner were... were um, were, 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 had at some point in their life experienced some type of homelessness, had really struggled, and we would gather the last few years. Carmen's came alongside of us and helped to make a part of the meal, and we got to bless people, and so many people have told us, like, it's the best Christmas dinner they've had, they, the, the, the best that they'll have that season, and, and they're so thankful for that, and, and it's one of the nights I just so love, and it was just gone, right? For nine years or so, we've had to bring little flickering flashlights into a school because we weren't allowed to burn candles, and I was so excited that this week we were going to actually have candles in here. And we actually, a few of us behind the scenes, because Sarah and, and uh, Botham, Joe Ott, my wife, all helped with some design stuff. And so we'd emailed them and said, what can we do? And uh, Joe was thinking through, you know, some candelabras. I said, can we put some stuff in here and, and have just candles? I just wanted candles. Everybody's holding a candle. Candles are everywhere. I was so excited for Christmas Eve and candles. And then it's just, just gone right? My family's not gathering the way it would normally gather, right? Normally, Amy's mom and sister and Amy's sister's son, my nephew, my parents, my siblings, their families all gather at my parents' house. It's easy because Amy's mom comes, so we got both sides all there together. We're all celebrating together, and none of that's happening. And so we come to this point of year, you can be like, man, this just doesn't feel like Christmas. This feels like such a disappointment, such a, a letdown. It just doesn't feel like like what it normally feels like. It doesn't feel like celebration. No large gatherings, no parties, no Christmas dinners the way we know them. And it's easy to become discouraged, even possibly embittered, maybe even to ask, where are you, God? If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 21. Luke 2, beginning at verse 21, and the word of the Lord says this. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. And when the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. 
Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. And so moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, you have promised that you may now dismiss, uh, and sorry, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the rising and falling of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There is also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, um, and, and she was then a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but she worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Mary and Joseph had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. That is the word of the Lord. On the eighth day, Jesus was circumcised. That's in accordance to the law. So the law required that the male Hebrew child would be circumcised. And so on day eight, Jesus is circumcised. And on day eight, as is their custom in Jewish tradition, they gave him his name. The name the angel has said, Jesus, which means the Lord saves. Why was Jesus circumcised? I believe Jesus was circumcised for a few reasons. He's from the line of Abraham, and being from the line of Abraham meant that to be part of God's covenant people, you would be circumcised. So Jesus here is identifying as part of the covenant people. He's one with the covenant God and covenant people. He's identifying who he is to them. It's the sign of the covenant. The sign of the covenant circumcision was with the shedding of blood because it was with the shedding of blood that signed or sealed a covenant, an agreement that was established. Well, then it was time for the purification rites. That's 33 days later. And so if a woman had given birth to a son, according to Leviticus 12, on the thir- after 33 days, she needed to be purified. She could go to the tent of meeting then. Now it's the, the temple and be purified. So Mary and Joseph go to the temple for two reasons. The one is so that Mary can be purified because she's been unclean from the blood and, and, and the birth. And now it's to also present Jesus because the firstborn is to be consecrated. They come and they come with this sacrifice You were to either bring a lamb or you were allowed to bring a pair of doves or two young pigeons. The Bible here mentions that they bring two doves or two pigeons. It doesn't even mention the lamb. The one of the pigeons or doves would be for the burnt offering. The other would be for the sin offering. And so Mary and Joseph bring a peasant's offering. That's all they have. Which talks to us about the depth of what Christ did. I mean... The Lamb of God's family couldn't even afford a lamb for their sacrifice. That's how much Jesus loves you. 
Jesus loves you so much that he entered into such poverty when he cloaked his deity with humanity that his family couldn't even afford a lamb. Do you hear the irony there? He is the lamb of God, and as the lamb of God, his family couldn't afford a lamb as the atoning sacrifice. So they bring a peasant's offering for the burnt offering and for the sin offering. And Jesus' family here follows the law. He's circumcised. They come back to the temple for purification. He's presented. They do this. Why? Because they're devout, godly people who love Jehovah, and they're following the law. You see, I say this all the time, but Jesus, when it talks in Scripture about him fulfilling the law, he fulfills the law in two ways. The one way is he kept the law perfectly. He never sinned. The law was kept for him by his parents and by him perfectly. Perfectly. He never sinned. He fulfilled the law in every way. I'll get to the other in a moment. right? We find this here in Galatians chapter 4. The Word of God says this. But when the time, the, the, the set time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, under the law, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. We get to be called the children of God. Not only are we saved, but we're adopted into the family of God. And so we, here we have Jesus, the Lamb of God, whose family can't afford a lamb for sacrifice, making atonement for the blood and the uncleanness with pigeons or doves, when one day he would be the ultimate sacrifice whose blood would atone any who believe. Well, while they're there, there's a devout man named Simeon. We, we don't know much about him. It doesn't say what his title is. Is he a priest? Is he a prophet? I mean, in later description here, it says the parents are bringing the child Jesus, uh, brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom had required, but it doesn't say that, that, that it's being, being brought to Simeon. He just happens to be there. And so we don't know who he is. Some people assume he's old, but the Bible doesn't say that either. The reason they assume that is because he says, I've now seen what you've promised. I'm ready to be dismissed. I'm ready to die. But that doesn't mean he's old. Is he in his 30s? Is he in his 40s? Is he in his 60s? We don't know. The Bible simply doesn't say much about his age or his title. But it does tell us about who he is. Look, look at this, verse 25. He's righteous. That means he's a right, in right relationship with God, keeping the righteous requirements of God. He's devout. He's faithful in the worship of God. He's patient. He's waiting for the consolation of Israel. He's spirit-filled. In fact, when the terms here are being used of him, the Holy Spirit was on him, that terminology is a terminology that's used when God's Spirit is indwelling someone. And it's very rare that that terminology is ever used of anyone prior to Pentecost. The Spirit of God now indwells us. It's, it's on us in that sense. He's on us in that sense. But, but in the Old Testament, the Spirit of God, he came upon people for specific purposes as judges, as, as kings, as prophets, as priests, and not indwelling in the same way as we understand indwelling. So Simeon here was an incredibly godly man. He was righteous. He was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And when he sees Jesus, he wraps him up, grabs him up in his arms, and he praises God, and he says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. Because he's been waiting for the consolation of Israel. So these Old Testament prophecies be running through his head. The virgin will be with child. For unto us a son is born, 
But you, O Bethlehem, out of you a ruler will come whose origins are from old, from ancient of days. And when he sees Jesus, God's Spirit reveals to him that it's him. Mary and Joseph have moved in the temple courts, and it says here that Simeon is moved by the Spirit, verse 27, to go into the temple courts. God's Spirit moves him there. He follows and obeys the Spirit of God as he's calling him to do so. Simeon walks in there. He sees Mary and Joseph. He grabs Jesus up in his arms, and he declares, God, you promised this. You brought peace. You're bringing salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation. It's prepared in the sight of the nations. This is a light of revelation to the Gentiles, the glory of your people Israel. Did you hear the words? Promise, peace, salvation, light, glory. Simeon comes face to face with this encounter with Jesus. And he says, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Because I've encountered Jesus. You know, that should be true of any of us. You're not ready to go when, until you've encountered Jesus, and when you've encountered Jesus, you're, you're ready to go. That doesn't mean God won't give you more years here. It just means you're prepared. You're ready. There's no, nothing else you need. God's given you everything you need in Christ. I remember a number of years ago, I was speaking at Fair Havens in the leadership training time, and I was there this is a, a few years ago um, on one of the evenings. I, I was leading a session on what it meant to know the Lord, what it meant to be saved, what it meant to share the gospel with these youth who'd all written out their testimony to share the gospel with others. And that night, God's Spirit just chose to fall specifically on that place. And there were about 40 students that night that either gave their lives to Christ or recommitted their lives to Christ. It was just a, a powerful night. And I sat there praying with student after student after student. And I then walked out, out of the room and I was going to my truck to, to go to where I'm staying and sleeping. And as I'm doing that, there's another young man standing there. And I knew him. I knew the family who grew up in a godly, devout Christian family. Um, I, I talked to him a number of times over the years, and he's standing right there. And uh, as we're standing there, he, he's saying, Dwayne, I'm not saved. And I'm like, okay, let's talk about this for a minute. I mean, I know your parents really well. Like, your dad's been an elder in a church I've been in. Like, I, I know your family. And I know at one time you were baptized. Like, let's, let's assume that you're doubting your assurance of salvation. Because that happens sometimes. So I'm walking with him. We spent about 90 minutes together. And at the end of that time, I'm like, no, I agree with you. You're not saved. That's always an encouraging moment, right? And so I said, what do you want to do? He says, I, I want to be saved. And so I spent time praying with him and, and just watched God grab a hold of his life. And a couple of weeks later, I was back at the camp with a number of our friends. We were there. We were camping. And we were going to this kind of carnival they run. And as, as I was going to it, he was passing me by. And I said to him, hey, man, how are you? And he said, I'm amazing. I'm saved. That's how I am. And I just knew God had gripped his heart. And then this year, in September, I was speaking at Heritage College and Seminary for a couple of days for their, their spiritual life chapels. I've done that for them a number of years, and I was there. And he's there at Heritage now. He finished a degree in finance and marketing and stuff, um, and uh, he wants to go on the mission field. And so he was there. He's going to do a year at Heritage, and a couple other students were there that I encouraged to go to Heritage. So I said, hey, after the chapel, let's go out for lunch. Now, I didn't know they weren't supposed to go out for lunch. No one told me that. They were supposed to be bubbling there with each other, not being exposed to people on the outside, not going home till Thanksgiving, not doing this, not doing that. I took them for lunch, emailed Rick Reed, the, the president of the school, after said, hey, took some students for lunch, had a great time. Wasn't rebuked, but anyway, it was fun. So we're at lunch and we're talking, and he's talking about where he wants to go, and what he wants to do, and talking about being in a closed country, talked about, about what it might mean you know, to be in a place where there's no other Christians and no other churches, and you know, where will God take him on the mission field? What will that look like? Because that's what he's preparing for now, and being willing to serve the Lord in that way. And as we were talking, he was like, you know, I don't fear death. 
I'm not afraid to die. I know where I'm going. I know who I belong to. Like, he's like, I don't want to die. I'd love to have a wife one day, and I'd love to have kids. I'd love to get married. I'd love to, I'd love to you know, have grandkids. But if the Lord calls me home now, I'm ready to go. You see, when you encounter Jesus, you're ready to go. When you've truly encountered him, you're ready to go. I've also met with people at the other end of the spectrum. A number of years ago, again now, I had a call from a family, non-believing family in the community who said, you know, our mom's dying with cancer. She's in her last days in palliative care, and we wondered if you would go visit her. She's just in such unrest, and she's so angry, and she's so bitter, and she's so upset. I went to see her. I met with her. I remember I spent quite a bit of time with her, prayed with her, read some scripture with her, and she was just angry. And as I was there, God seemed to soften her heart of it. I left her with a Bible, and I said, would you be open to reading the Gospel of John? And um, she said, I'll, I might be. And I left, right, having prayed with her. And uh, a couple days later, because I knew she didn't have much time, I called the family asking if I could go back. And they said, oh, we'd love that. She said, Mom is entirely different. I said, what do you mean? Well, she started to read the Bible you left her, and she's saying she's been saved. Like, she says, like, she's met Jesus. Like, she's entirely different. We think she, maybe she's lost her mind, right? Like, I said, well, no, maybe she's found it. And, and so I went in to meet with her, and, and I'm walking into the room, and she was in a private room. She had some, you know, insurance and stuff. And, and as I'm walking in, a couple of family members are there, and she's just there, and she's lying on the bed, and she's not well. I'm walking, and she smiles. She's like, she's like, Pastor, she's like, I'm ready to go. The Lord has saved me. The Lord has saved me. She was reading through the Gospel of John, and as she was reading through the Gospel of John, she realized all the I am's, all of the, all of the, 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 the doctrine of who Christ is in that sense of the I am's are all found in the Gospel of John. And as she was reading them, she's like, God just opened my eyes up to who, who he was, and I'm ready to go. See, that's Simeon in this moment. Simeon's here, and he's like, he's like I, I, have, I have seen God. You've kept your promises. I've seen your salvation. I've encountered this Jesus. I'm ready to go. And imagine this, imagine this. This is like with a four-and-a-half-week-old baby. This is God's Spirit opening his eyes to truth, showing him who Christ is, revealing to him who the Savior is. And he's kept his promise, and he grants peace because he's brought salvation, who is light in the darkness, the glory for his people. Well, the child's father and mother, they marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many. And there will be a sign many of the hearts, the hearts of people will be revealed. And a sword will pierce your own soul. This child will be a sign. You see, so far, as we've, as we've gathered and we've watched through some of the Christmas nativity, what's happened? Well, an angel appeared, Right? Don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy today in the town of David. A Savior has been born. He is Christ the Lord. The angels join that angel. Glory to God in the highest on earth. Peace to those on whom God's favor rests. So, you know, you have the declaration of a Savior. The declaration that Christ has come. The declaration that the Lord is here. That this Savior who is the Christ is the Lord. The declaration that he is going to bring peace. But there's no declaration yet as to what that means is. I mean, the Magi haven't come. They don't come yet for a little while in, in the encounter. So remember, because they show up at a house, if you have them too close to your nativity scene, it's not a very biblical nativity scene. So I'm a little ways out. They get there in a little while. They're not there yet. I want to I I have a biblical nativity scene one day in this church. And the wise men are going to be a little ways away. 
Because um, this happens before that happens. We're multiple weeks now after his birth, right? So what occurs? Simeon now is talking about the means of salvation, which is the death of Christ. That who he is will cause the rising of some and the falling of others. Well, what's he talking about? It'll show people's hearts. Well, it does show people's hearts, doesn't it? When Christ is here, what do they do? Crucify him, crucify him. If this is what God is like, we don't want God here. That's what they're saying. If this is what God is like, we don't want him. Crucify him, crucify him. I mean, they don't know they're crucifying God, but that's what they're doing in essence. If this is what God is like, we don't want him. We don't want anything to do with him. Crucify him. And for those who are proud, Simeon says, they will fall. And for those who've been humbled, they will be risen up. For those who recognize their need of a Savior and humbly come to him, confessing their sin, he will raise them up. Is that not good news? But for those in their arrogance who say, I don't need you, oh, they will fall. They will fall. But Mary, note this. A sword will pierce your heart. I mean, do we understand what Mary went through? As a virgin, she carried Jesus for nine months. She put up with all the ridicule, right? You remember at one time they called Jesus the son of illegitimacy. Why? Because everybody could do the math. Mary's pregnant here. Mary Joseph got married here. Oh, Like I've had people come to me and say, hey, we're pregnant. We want to get married quick. I'm like, how pregnant are you? You said, well, we're, we're working 11 weeks. Can we get married in like three weeks? No one will know. I'm like, are you out of your mind? No one will know? So we're going to get married here. Like, are you postponing the birth of your child for four months? Like, you're keeping them in the incubator for a little longer? Like, no one will know. Everyone will know. Like, everyone will know. This is not a secret. Like, you've sinned. Let's confess your sin and move forward. But everyone knows. I don't know the math, nine months. But, but, oh, that was, that was a 14-month baby. Oh, that, that, yeah, that happens every so often. No. Right? So everybody knew that Mary, right? This is the son of illegitimacy. She also held him for the first time. She nursed him. He changed his diapers. I mean, Jesus' diapers didn't change on their own. He helped him with his first steps. Is that not incredible? He was entrusted to be his mom. God, the son's mom. And Joseph his dad. Maybe part of the reason why is because they were devout, godly people. I mean, as they come to the temple, as they follow the purification rites, as they present Jesus, as they follow all of the Old Testament law as according to God's word. It makes a big statement about what we do as parents, doesn't it? I mean, the most important thing you can do for your children as parents is raise them spiritually invest in them spiritually. It's not about what school they go to. It's not, not about what hobbies they have. It's not about what athletics you get them in. It's investing in them spiritually. Caring for them spiritually. It's loving on them in Jesus' name that way. There's no greater investment. And I imagine when Mary is at the cross watching Jesus die, and she knew he never sinned, right? If your parents here, you know when your kids sin. Could you imagine being Mary? 
He never caught Jesus doing anything wrong because he never did anything wrong. And she knew he never sinned. Can you imagine that? Wow. And so she knew that that young man who is her son on the cross as God's gift was innocent. She knew that more than anyone else. She knew he didn't deserve to be there. She knew that when people were calling blasphemy that that wasn't true. That when they were saying crucify him that he'd done nothing wrong. She knew that. And I imagine Simeon's word just rang in her mind that a sword would pierce her own soul, her own heart. Of course it did in that moment. She just ached as she watched him die. So he offers this prophecy to them. Well, while this is happening, there's a prophet named Anna, the daughter of Phanuel. She's old. She lived with her husband seven years, and then she was a widow It says until she was 84. It's hard to understand the translation here. It either is is seven years and then then 84 years as a widow. Um, And then she's like 100-ish something if she got married at 16. Or more likely, it is that she's 84. Because very rare would someone live to 100. 84 is an old age to live in this day. So most likely translate that way. But forever, nope the difference here between her and Simeon, right? This shows God's high view of women. In a day where women are often uh, uh, sidelined, marginalized, and their testimony wasn't admissible in any court, she's a prophet. This is Anna the prophet. She's at the temple, and she's there day and night worshiping the Lord, praying and fasting. Her age is given when Simeon's isn't. Her title is given when Simeon's isn't. And she worships God day and night, praying and fasting. And it says this, she comes up to them at the very moment and she gave thanks to God. It's like Simeon's holding Jesus. He's declaring the prophetic word. He's explaining what's going on. And she just kind of walks up into it. And as she walks up into it, she's like, wow, this is the Christ. This is who I've been waiting for as I've been worshiping and fasting. And immediately she prays God. And then note this, she tells everyone about it. She spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. She was just so excited. So as we gather this Advent Sunday, this Sunday prior to Christmas, this Sunday about love, where is love? Well, the Bible tells us that greater love has no one, right? That while we were his enemies, Christ would die for us. While we deserve damnation, while we deserve separation, while we deserve hell, Christ would choose to die on our behalf. He would choose to take our place and die in our stead. When John 3.16 talks about for God so loved the world, it's not because the amazement that we have should not be simply because the world is so big, but also because the world is so bad. The world deserves separation from God. We couldn't keep God's rules. We couldn't keep the way God wanted us to live. We, We just couldn't do it. And so God gloriously sends his son, and his son willingly dies the lamb that had no lamb to sacrifice because he was born into a peasant family becomes the lamb so that he can make atonement for any who believe. That is the glorious great news of his love for us. And if God just stopped there, that would be enough. If all God did was save us, that would be enough. But God does more than save us. God adopts us into sonship and daughtership. We become the children of God. 
He doesn't just save us. He welcomes us into his family. He grants us a new identity. It's not just that he spares us from hell, but he treats us as his very son should be treated. When God sees us now, he looks at us, and because of the blood that Christ has shed, he sees his son Jesus, and he treats us as such. That is love. That is love. And that is Christmas. And we celebrate him. We celebrate him, the one who is promised. We celebrate him, the one who is salvation. We celebrate him, the one who is light. We celebrate him, the one who is redemption. We celebrate him, the one who is glorified. We celebrate him. We celebrate him. And like Simeon, whenever we come face-to-face encounter with Jesus, our response should be, I'm ready to go. I've met the living God. I've met him. I've met him. And I'm ready to go. So maybe this Christmas, God has stripped everything back for us so that we can focus on him. And maybe instead of focusing on all the things you'll miss, and I'll tell you there's lots of things I'll miss, maybe God's done it this year so that we can celebrate who he is and what he's done. Oh, I know, people can come and debate me, well, he's probably not born in December. I know all that, right? We don't know exactly when he was born. It's the date that's been selected to celebrate his birth. But as it's the date that's been selected to celebrate his birth, we gather as his people and we celebrate him. We celebrate who he is in the midst of difficulty. We celebrate what he's done in the midst of our pain and anguish. We celebrate his salvation from our sin and his wrath for his glory. And we tell others about it. We celebrate Jesus. We recognize that even in the midst of this, we don't gather alone because we gather with the Lord himself, that even when we wake up Christmas morn and everything is different, what isn't different is this. What a protocol can never take away, what a bylaw can never diminish, is I am a child of God. I am owned by him. He has saved me, and I celebrate that he came down. The Savior has come. Emmanuel, God, with us. And he saves us from our sin. Praise his name. And that can never be taken And maybe this year God has chosen to strip everything back so that in rising us up we'll be like, oh yeah, it's about Jesus. Oh yeah, the celebration of the incarnation. Oh, it's about him. And in a way we've never done before, we worship our God. Because he is the promised one, the one who offers peace, who brings salvation as the light of the world, with glory and redemption. Kevin and Sarah, you and the team can come up, and as they come up, we're going to celebrate today a little cup that reminds us of the love of Jesus. We're going to take a cup that has a wafer in the top and some juice in the bottom. If you didn't get one on the way in, we invite you to go to the hallway. You're welcome to pick one up. They're in the hallway there, and you can grab one and, and come back in with it. The wafer reminds us of the body of Christ. It reminds us that Christ came You know, it's just as important that Jesus came as it is that he actually died. The wafer reminds us that he fulfilled the law perfectly. I said the one, but there's two. He he fulfilled the law in these two ways. The one was this. He fulfilled the law perfectly because he kept it. He never did anything wrong. And he fulfilled the law perfectly because all of the prophecies of the Old Testament about the Christ were about him, Jesus the Lord. And so we celebrate his body that was broken. And then we celebrate his blood that was shed. That his love for us was so much that instead of our blood being shed, 
Instead of God's wrath coming upon us, it came upon him willingly as the sacrifice for our sin. So if you're sitting here today and you know the Lord, we invite you to take this cup. We invite you to take the wafer and remember Jesus who loves you, whose body was broken for you, and then drink the cup because his blood was shed for you. If today you're not a believer, we would invite you to know him as Savior. We encourage you not to take communion. But as we do, I'll be sitting right up here in a chair. Other pastors from our church and, and, and elders are around, and you can talk to any one of us. Because today, we would love for you to come to know Christ as Savior, to encounter Jesus, so that you can say with others, I'm ready to be dismissed. Oh, I'd love to live another few years, maybe even decades. When I'm ready to be dismissed, I've come face to face with the living God. And so today, if that's you, if you're like, yeah, I'm not saved, I haven't crossed that line of faith, we'd love you to pray with one of us so that today you could be assured of your salvation and God's love for you. But if today you're someone who's crossed that line of faith, you know Jesus as Savior. We invite you as we sing these next songs when you're ready to take this wafer, the body of Christ broken for you, and this cup, the blood of Christ shed for you, to say, Jesus, this Christmas, may I remember you. Would you pray with me? We're thankful, Father, that your love for us was so great that you did not spare your son, and we thank you that, Jesus, you came. You lived among us. You never sinned. We thank you that this wafer reminds us of your body that was broken. And then at the end of your life, you chose to give it up on the cross. We're thankful that this cup reminds us that your blood was shed, and today we remember you. As we do so, O oh God, we pray that this Christmas season, our mind, our hearts, our eyes will be focused on you. For we ask this in the powerful resurrected name of Jesus Christ the Lord. Amen.